everybody. Still wishing I could see your faces. And so this first announcement, this is why this one's so important. We have to work for our community right now. So I just ask that if you are new to the sanctuary, if you've been what, kind of around a while, but maybe haven't told us who you are, we'd like to hear who you are and have you be um, present in our community. So you can fill out info by scanning a QR code and let us know a little bit about yourself. You can also comment on uh, Facebook or YouTube um, and just let us know who you are, how we can connect with you. Then we have a couple of announcements. The first is a new group. This is a group, it's not a class. It is called Processing Religious Trauma or Religious Hurts. It is a six week therapeutic group and it is, we are really honored to have Stephanie Moss, who is a licensed clinical social worker and trauma informed. And she is going to be working with us along with myself. And I'm going to be leading you into some contemplative practices. So if you are so interested in following Christ, but struggling with some past religious pain, this may be a group for you. It's going to be in person. It's six weeks. There will be no more than 10 people. And if you are wanting to hear more, next Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we are going to have a Zoom chat. Um, so if you sign up to hear more, it doesn't mean that you're committing to the group. It just means you're signing up to hear more. So that is this Sunday, or um, Sunday uh, the 23rd at 10 a.m. And then the class will run on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8, and it starts February 16th. So that's our first. Our second class is gonna be online. It is our next Roots class. It starts on January 26th. And the Roots class is our introduction to the Oceanside Sanctuary for those that are new or kind of want a refresher. We, they, we will meet for three one-hour sessions um, and learn the history of our church, beliefs, missions, priorities, how to get involved. So we ask that you RSVP on the OceansideSanctuary.org um, calendar. And this is where we're kind of having community right now is on Zoom. So if you haven't put your toe in the water yet, this might be great. It's three weeks, it's on Zoom and you can get to know a few people. Uh, the next group that we have is our call and response group, and that's going to begin on January 27th, and it's also on Zoom. So if, again, you're looking for some community, maybe you don't live in Oceanside, you live in Salt Lake City. This is a place where you can uh, get to know some people. Call and response, response is a monthly group, scripture study, that approaches Bible study as dialogue. So for the next three months, we will begin digging deeper into the wisdom books of Proverbs, Job, and my personal favorite, Ecclesiastes. So uh, RSV, RSVP for the Zoom link on the calendar. Again, OceansideSanctuary.org. And then last, we are a nonprofit. We cannot do this work without your generous gifts. So. 
Um, we know a lot of you give regularly and we just want to say thank you. We know that it is a um, gift and, and a commitment and we appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who are interested in giving, again, you can go to OceansideSanctuary.org, click the Give button, and, and give out of uh, your ability to do so. So, God bless you. Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you again, even though we are 100% online virtual church right now. Uh, it's exciting to be able to spend some time with you and connect, even if it's on YouTube and Facebook. Today, we are going to continue our series, Teaching Through the Wisdom Books of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. This is what we're spending our time for the next couple of months doing in our teaching time because a few weeks back as we came out of the holiday season and as we came through Epiphany, I said that wisdom, uh, excuse me, rather, I said that Christianity is a wisdom tradition. That we often think about Christianity as simply a, a way of believing the right things, of thinking the right things, and thereby pleasing God. But I sort of challenged us to instead think of Christianity as a kind of embodied tradition where we learn to live wisdom out in our lives every day. And there are a whole collection of books, especially in the Hebrew Bible, committed entirely to learning wisdom. This tradition that we're in is thousands of years old when we go back to its origins in Judaism. And in that tradition that's thousands of years old, wisdom is consistently highlighted as something that we need to lean into and press into. So we've started with the book of Proverbs. That's what we're going to be looking at again today. Last week, we read the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter one. Today, we're going to pick it up where we left off because there's a switch from the introduction to Proverbs there that ends in verse seven. And the, the poetry here in Proverbs switches over to a new motif. So we're going to take a look at that today and pull apart what we can out of those passages. But before we do, I want to invite you with me to just center yourselves, and let's take a moment to pray before we approach these passages of Scripture together. Would you join with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather together virtually, and for us to uh, lift our voices to you, for us to sing and pray together for us to attend to these verses in Proverbs and learn wisdom, however we might, from the passages that we read here today. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would inspire us, that you would open up new spaces for us in our hearts and minds to lean into lives of wisdom. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick it up, like I said, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. And what I'm going to do is read through these passages all at once. We're going to read from verse 8 all the way through to verse 19. And just as a reminder, last week, one of the things I said to you is that Proverbs is a book of poetry. And today we begin to see even more of those markers of poetry in the images that are conjured up in these passages. So as we read through them, I want to really encourage you to 
hear these or read these as a kind of poem and allow those images that are used to come up in your imagination. Imagine yourself in this space being spoken to by the voice that arises here in verse 8. So starting in verse 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's reproof, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. For they are a garland of grace around your head and a necklace around your throat. My son, should offenders seduce you, do not be willing. Should they say, go with us, let us lie in wait for blood, stalk the innocent for no reason. I want to pause there for a moment in verse 11 and just point out that Proverbs has shifted its voice right here in verse 8 away from this sort of broad introduction to this book of wisdom and instead shifts over to the voice of a father or a mother speaking to their child, beseeching that child to listen to their teachings. And in verse 11, we land on this phrase that seems very dramatic. Verse 10, my son, should offenders seduce you, do not be willing. And should they say, go with us, let us lie in wait for blood, stalk the innocent for no reason. That whole image of a mother or a father warning their child to be careful about going out into the world, lest they get sucked in with the wrong crowd, people who are willing to murder others. This sort of indicates the high drama that we often find in Proverbs. That's something that we'll see throughout this book as you read it this month, uh, both not only on Sunday mornings with us, but on your own. You'll notice that because it's very poetic, it tends to use these sort of dramatic stories. And so I just wanted to point that out before we lean into the rest of it. Starting in verse 12, it says, Let us swallow them live like Sheol, and the blameless like those who have gone down to the pit. This is, of course, those offenders who are imagined to be seducing or enticing this child to enter into a life of offense. They're saying to him, let us swallow others like the grave, and let us attack the blameless like those who have gone down into the pit. The poem continues. All precious treasure we shall find, and we shall fill our houses with loot. Your lot you should throw in with us, and one purse we shall all have. So in other words, this imagined group of people who are trying to entice this child into a life of sin, a life of crime, they're basically saying, you can throw your lot in with us. Not only are there treasures, but there's also a sense of camaraderie, a sense of belonging by joining with us. In verse 15, it continues. This picks up again the voice of the father or the mother who says, My son, do not go on a road with them. Hold back your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hurry to shed blood. I love this next set of passages. It conjures up, I think, a particularly powerful image. It says, for the net is spread out for no reason. Now remember, this is the mother or the father saying to the child, for the net is spread out for no reason in the eyes of each winged thing. Yet they lie in wait for their own blood and they lurk for their own lives. Thus are the ways of all who chase gain, its possessor's life 
it will take. Again, we have this incredibly dramatic scene where a father or a mother is speaking to their child, their son in this case, and saying, let me tell you about the ways of the world. Let me tell you that you need to be very careful when you go out into the world because there are people out in the world who want to entice you to do terrible things. This tells us right off the bat that Proverbs is a book of conventional wisdom. That Proverbs is wisdom that you might teach to your very young son or your very young daughter. Anybody who has children knows exactly the kind of conversation that Proverbs is talking about here. It's talking about the kind of conversation where you might say to your young son or your young daughter, there are bad people in this world and you need to be careful not to get sucked in with them. But of course, if you're anything like me, and you've lived long enough, you know that it's a little bit more complicated than that. The world isn't just full of good people and bad people. And that a worldview that sort of divides people into good and bad can lead to all kinds of judgmentalism and tribalism and the kinds of bloody and violent divisions that plague our world. We see in these verses the mother or the father saying to their child, because there are bad people in the world, you need to be very, very careful. Those of us who have lived a little bit longer know that it's a little more complicated than that. That the world is full of violence and terror and injustice. But most days, on any given day, there's really nothing to be afraid of. And we know that a world that is viewed as a terrifying and fearful place tends to lead people to act in ways that are ironically violent because they're so fearful, they're so driven and captivated by their fear of the imagined atrocities in the world that they're willing to do atrocities in order to protect themselves. And we can see in these verses, the father or the mother saying to their ch young child, especially towards the end, if you do bad things, if you get sucked in with the wrong people, eventually you will be caught. Sort of like the birds who are flying in the air and they see the net below them, but they have no idea what a net is. They have no idea what it lies in wait for them. And so the irony, of course, of doing bad things is that eventually you are caught by those bad things that you do. In other words, your sin will find you out. Anybody who has ever been a mother or father has probably had that conversation with their child. I remember when our oldest daughter was very young, she had a tendency, like most young children, to play around with telling stories, telling fibs, or just outright lying in order to get herself off the hook. This is, of course, a sign of creativity and intelligence in young children, but it presents a problem for parents who need to teach their children that they have to learn how to tell the truth. My, my wife, Janelle, you've probably heard this story. At one point when our daughter was very young, she told her, you know, every time you lie, a red dot appears on your forehead. Our oldest daughter was horrified by that. But from then on, for a little while, every time she lied, she would put her hand over her forehead so that nobody could see the red dot, which, of course, made it obvious to us when she was lying. But of course, those of us who have lived a little bit longer know that it's a little more complicated than that. 
We don't always get caught up by our sins or our lies. Bad people do not always pay for their crimes. And sometimes very good people suffer for no good reason. So what we have here then is conventional wisdom, the kind of wisdom that we would teach to children because they're not quite ready yet to understand that the world is a little bit more complicated, but we want them to lean into the fundamentals of life. We want them to understand the basic truths that they need to grasp in order to live well. Proverbs is sort of like Wisdom 101, or the fundamentals of wisdom. And just because that there is more complicated wisdom to be learned later on in our lives doesn't mean that the fundamentals aren't still true. You have to learn and master the concepts of meter and rhyme before you can write good free verse. You have to learn how to hit your notes before you can learn how to improvise. You have to learn how to hold your baseball bat before you can ever hit home runs. Sometimes what we want in our spiritual lives is to leap ahead to the advanced class, to play around with advanced concepts before we've learned our own fundamentals. Proverbs then is for people who need a refresher course in the basics of wisdom. Even professional athletes do this. Even professional baseball players, when they're struggling, they will break down their swing and they will learn it all over again and make basic adjustments to their swing so that they can get better. Professional basketball players will spend hours breaking apart their shooting stroke and learning how to do it the right way after years of learning bad habits. People who take their craft very seriously understand that it's important to know the fundamentals. And they will often revisit them over and over again because they know how important it is. Proverbs is that kind of book for us. Just because these concepts are fundamentals and not advanced doesn't mean that they're not true. Just because the world is mostly full of people who are doing their best, and trying their hardest, and just trying to get by in life doesn't mean that there aren't people who still do horrible things that we don't need to be careful around. And in this way, we can begin to see how Proverbs revolves around this concept of fear that we saw last week. I ended last week by asking the question, what does it mean to you when in Proverbs chapter 1, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this begins to answer that question. The answer to the question, of course, is there are things to fear in life. We ought to be afraid if we are attempting to live lives in an advanced way, wrestling with the complexities of day-to-day -day life if we have not mastered the fundamentals if we don't recognize people who are trying to take advantage of us, if our naivete has blinded us to some of the harsher realities of life, if we don't take seriously that to be foolish every day in our choices, in our choice of friends, in our choice of actions, in the way that we relate to other people, 
if we don't take seriously the reality that that can destroy our lives later on, then we are likely to fall into that trap. So that is the fear that Proverbs invites us to take seriously. Fear of the Lord is a recognition that if we do this wrong, the consequences can be severe. If we don't walk into life with our eyes wide open, aware of the dangers, and taking them seriously, we can cause real harm to ourselves and to the people that we love. And so we take the fundamental seriously. I want to invite you this month as we continue through the book of Proverbs to open up this book for yourself and read through these poems. Conjure up these images and, and ask yourself, how is this speaking to the basic fundamental ways that I live my life every day? How is God using Wisdom 101 to teach me in a fresh, new way how to live my life in a way that is genuinely wise and not foolish? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today and for this opportunity for us to learn and to grow and to encounter a sense of your presence and your mystery in these verses and pages. And as we continue to press in today and in the coming weeks, we ask that you would give us a real love for the basics of wisdom, for the fundamentals of the spiritual life, that we wouldn't despise the building blocks of wisdom set before us in these pages just because we imagine ourselves to be more advanced than that. As we read through these verses together, teach us something new. Help us to grow closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.